I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I'm not going make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? Yeah, I like football. I like football season all the things that go with it. Breaking news, and we haven't even sat down for the show yet. Sam Monson back here as always. Steve not here on the Friday show. So we brought in Brad Spielberger, our salary cap expert, our free agent expert. And on cue, Brad, we've got things happening before we've even started the show. Apparently, the Eagles have uh, given permission to, J- to Darius Slay to seek a trade, according to Diana Rossini. Um, so in addition to all the, the usual free agent stuff that's on the horizon, the Lamar Jackson um, talk that we want to get your take on. There's there's other news happening. I think uh, multiple trades could happen in the next couple of weeks. DeAndre Hopkins, Jalen Ramsey, obviously Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I think an interesting footnote as well to the Darius Slay situation, Albert Breer just put out, Slay did not request the trade. They're in negotiations for an extension. He's going to the last year of his deal, owed $17 million. Yes, he's a phenomenal corner, but going to be 32 years old next year. And the Eagles, I think, as kind of a negotiating tactic, are saying, okay, you can go seek a trade and see if someone will extend you and pay you the money you want. They did a similar thing with Fletcher Cox last year, and Cox ended up returning to the Eagles, you know, so it didn't pan out. So an interesting angle. It's not – I see the jokes going around about Matt Patricia joining the staff <laughs> is why Slay is begging to leave. That does not seem to be the case, at least as of yet. Though in his defense, you could understand it if that was the reason. Oh, yeah. You know, it would I, – I would, I would get that. Um, look, that, that's going to bring us neatly into this Lamar Jackson thing. Myself and Steve talked about it a little bit before, but I want to get your take onto it as well. But first, I want to say that the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. They're the guys behind the Western and Southern studio, the fancy building we're in right now. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. So, Brad, um, the reason I think it links in or it leads in quite nicely is this appears to be essentially a negotiating tactic by the Baltimore Ravens, right? We couldn't get the deal done. We're at loggerheads. You want from the one thing that doesn't appear to be disputed by almost anybody is Lamar is essentially looking for some version of the Deshaun Watson contract, you know, five-year fully guaranteed type of deal. Baltimore doesn't want to go there. And so they've reached this point where their negotiating tactic is, all right, we're, we're not going to bridge this gap. So if you think you can get that, have at it. We don't think anyone's going to go there either. So um, we're willing to place this non-exclusive franchise tag on you and see what happens. I think the second angle of this not being discussed enough is also that because he does not have an agent, and even there are some guys without agents like Roquan Smith on his team who just signed a market-setting deal, he has an, an advisor, a guy that also worked on Laramie Tunsil's deal and has done other contracts or you know advised in other contracts. So it's that as well, where there's a lot coming out about this. You know, Because it's all one-sided, you don't know exactly what to le- believe. But apparently, 
the Ravens will come with an offer and Lamar will just say, is it Deshaun Watson's deal yet or not? If it's not, like, I'm not even interested in talking about it, right? So they're not actually negotiating and you have to give a little. You have to at least hear them out and have the conversation. So I think the bet is also, okay, you and your mom can go call GMs around the NFL and try to get them to sign you to an offer sheet worth, you know, $250 million fully guaranteed. You don't know these people. You don't have a relationship with them. Probably haven't spoken with them since the 2018 draft. All these things. So it's both the fully guaranteed deal. And I think at this point they're kind of fed up and just saying, look, I'm not saying everyone needs to have an agent. There are players that have done very well. The guys I just mentioned. Bobby Wagner's done well for himself in the past. But I think all those guys had advisors at least. And I think in this situation, it's literally just Lamar talking about a nine, you know, a quarter billion deal. That's uh it's a little complicated. Yeah, and he's he's hampered by that in ways that other, you know, with if you had an agent or an advisor, you wouldn't be. Yahoo had a really interesting article where they asked three separate what they called, you know, big time agents effectively, like how we got to this position, what the problem is, and how they would handle it from this point going forward. Now, obviously, as agents, they're not unbiased, you know, commenters here. They're like, well, of course he needs an agent. Like, this is why you have us because things like this wouldn't happen, et cetera, et cetera. But like they were making some interesting points, such as Lamar could have, you know, Lamar can't be in the combine last week talking to GMs, you know, laying the groundwork for this. Like, hey, if we get the franchise tag, let's talk. What would this look like? What would the, you know, et cetera. Whereas an agent, like the quote from this guy uh, was, you tamper, one agent said. You meet with as many teams as you can and you tamper like a motherfucker, was this guy's quote. So, Lamar, you know, can't do that on his own. He can't be an indie, you know, at the Starbucks of the JW talking to a GM, yeah. figuring out what this would look like if Baltimore goes this route and slaps a franchise tag on him. So one of the things I wanted to ask you is we brought up the term collusion in the last show and multiple people thought we brushed it off too quickly as a concept. You know, we were essentially explaining away why the current landscape or the lack of people immediately jumping on the Lamar Jackson thing being available was not collusion. So I, I ask you, why, why is the current, why have there not been three teams already making an offer essentially to Lamar? So I think the word is fair. I do think, look, there are legitimate concerns on, you know, missing five or six games the last two years each. Yes, he is. I don't think he's just a running back, you know, that bogus stuff. He's a, he's a fine player. But yes, you could say, am I a little bit more concerned about giving him a five-year fully guaranteed deal as I am to a different style of quarterback? You could make that argument. I think it's a bit overblown, but nevertheless, um, the reason why I think you could throw the C word out there is never in my life have I seen an hour after a franchise tag is placed you get a half dozen teams that come out and say, and some of the teams, it wasn't Schefter, it wasn't Diana Rossini, it was the in-house media team who, all respect to those people, never get scoops on anything. <laughs> and and they're saying, we're not going to pursue him, the team is not interested, we're not going to sign him an offer sheet, whatever. That, to me, was very, very fishy and yeah. bizarre, including teams that do not have an answer at quarterback, because I also saw some people say, yeah, you know, if you're Miami, like, you're trying to be nice to Tua. I mean, they also met with Deshaun Watson in person, so you, they already did that to Tua. But, but nevertheless, that was why, to me, look, the, we know the NFL lies to us. Play the game. Give us the optics. Have Lamar in for a visit. Chat with him for a while. And then put out a statement. We could, you know, we, we, we saw things differently. He's a nice guy, but we don't think it's going to work for us. Why they immediately close the door? Um, if he had an agent, there's another thing I bring this up. If he had an agent, 
None of those statements are coming out because it's pissing off an important power broker in the NFL, someone whose relationship they don't want to tarnish. So that, again, to me, was just just weird. That That is the weirdest part of the whole thing to me. I don't have a particularly good explanation for why that happened. Um, I think for a couple of teams, it does make sense. Like the thing where I push back a little bit with Miami, yeah, they already did it to Tua, but that was kind of before Tua was good. You know, yeah. they, they did it to crappy Tua, like the guy that had looked like a disaster for the first couple of years, albeit not, you know, his fault. They were fine with screwing that guy over. But Tua last year looked like he could be a really good player for them going forward. And if they want to re-sign him, you know, figuring out what he's going to be this year and if he's the long-term solution, it's very difficult for some of these teams, I think, to jump into the Lamar Jackson thing, not get it done, and then come back cap in hand to the quarterback to plan B, right? Whether it's Aaron Rodgers out on the open market effectively, whether it's whoever they have in-house that they'd be coming back to, like that would be pretty difficult to walk back because that's that's kind of what happened with the Falcons and Matt Ryan last year, right? They yep. dove into the Deshaun Watson thing and then, oh, we didn't get him. Hey, Matt. And he's like, uh, no, I'm gone. So I think that part is is applicable for some teams. The biggest thing though, I think, and this doesn't explain the, you know, coming out immediately and saying, hey, we're not in. Though, I think it's worth pointing out that they might be lying. You know what I mean? Like, you're saying the sort of optics that they want to, they want to, you should have the optics that they're actually interested in. But I think a lot of these teams probably want the other side of it. They want the optics that like, no, we're not, we're not interested in that. Whilst quietly, you know, actually talking. Um, but the thing that I think is most important to bring up as a, a kind of factor in all this is if a team signed Lamar Jackson to an offer, right? My understanding of it is they effectively have to sit with that offer on their books for the week that Baltimore has to match it, right? So effectively, he's their player for that week. And if Baltimore matches it at the end of it, they burned a week that they could be using that money doing other things and don't have Lamar Jackson at the end of it. I can see a lot of teams not wanting to do that because by their by the very nature, a lot of the offers we're talking about is, hey, to, to make Baltimore not match, it would have to be like an onerous offer in year one, i.e. ruin their salary cap situation for anything else they want to do. And it would be there for that week that they want to be using that money. So I think that's a pretty important factor for teams not wanting to get too involved in that if they don't think there's any chance that they'll actually beat Baltimore to this thing. 100%. I think it's entirely legitimate. I mean, it's got to be larger cap hit wise than the $32.4 million franchise tag. So if that's the floor, we're talking about teams trying to, you can't do poison pills anymore. I got asked this recently, but yeah, you could make it so there's a $60 million cap hit in the first yeah. year and make it so difficult for Baltimore. But then, yeah, that team can't spend. Also, I know you and I went back and forth on this. I finally got confirmation on all these things. You can sign them to an offer sheet after the draft. That would tie into Miami again, right. who does not have a first round pick. They could wait until after the draft and other teams, let's say, you know, you're Indianapolis or someone who like thinks they're getting a quarterback. Everyone jumps you in trades and it goes one, two, three in trades. And then you come back out and say, okay, well, we planned to draft a kid, but now we don't have that option anymore. Now we're in the market. Um, that, that also is a factor. But yes, all those things are totally legitimate. The only reason why I just raised my eyebrows was just why they said anything. Yeah. Um, that, that was bizarre. No, I agree. I think that's the biggest unexplained thing. But I, I think just from a sort of abstract point of view, you know, why are why have multiple teams not rushed to to hand Lamar an offer sheet? One, I don't think they can negotiate yet, right? They can't even 
talk right, to him right. until the yep, legal 15. tampering period starts, you know, right. in, a, in a few days. So technically, they they can't have <laughs> sort of started this whole thing. So that's possibly part of it. But um, but the other aspect is I, I think. When you're talking about that, like Baltimore is probably using this as a way to get the market to give them the contract, right? We don't think we're going to get anywhere near where you want to go. Fine. Maybe it'll go higher than we think, but let's, let's figure it out. Let's give it to the open market. The market comes in. Somebody gives them an offer. It's higher than Baltimore was going, but it's nowhere near the Deshaun Watson deal. And Baltimore matches. Job done. Negotiation done. Contract signed. We move on. But in order for that to happen, like if a team is trying to beat that effectively, if a team is trying to get to somewhere that Baltimore can't or won't match, you're immediately cutting yourself down to a very small number of teams that even have the cap flexibility to make that happen, right? If you're talking about this $60 million hit year one, well, right now, one team has that space. Now, obviously, more can free it up and you know make, make adjustments and cut guys and uh, rework contracts, et cetera, et cetera. But there aren't that many teams that can make that kind of move happen to, to start with, and there's probably fewer that want to have that sitting on the books for a week and not, you know, and ultimately maybe Baltimore matches and they're screwed anyway. Yeah, and one final point, too, is, you know, Jason Fitzgerald brought this up, you know, from over the cap. Uh, also, just the resources of your football administration department, which is usually like two or three guys per team. You're trying to sign free agents, trying to do other things, and they're busy negotiating again with Lamar um, and, and his family or whoever you know actually works on these things with him. So even that, you're just tying up their time because look, you can't. You need to dedicate all your resources if you're going to negotiate a nine-figure contract for a quarterback. Right. You can't then on the side also be trying to figure out. Or you can, but it, it obviously would not be very easy to then also be working on free agency stuff. Yeah, I mean Baltimore failed to achieve this in over this <laughs> over this course right. of a year, multiple years, and you're expecting an NFL team to do it on the side in a couple of days whilst they're trying to get free agent stuff done without having any idea if they have the money to get free agent stuff done because you have to theoretically allocate this giant sum of money to the Lamar Jackson contract. I think there should be teams interested in Lamar Jackson, and I would imagine there are teams that are exploring this quietly, but it doesn't shock me that this isn't like a free-for-all, that there isn't half the league you know, involved in this trying to make a deal happen because of all these things we're talking about. So the, yep. if you're going to throw around the word collusion – your argument is that one thing that we can't really explain, which is why did everybody come out two minutes after it was announced and say, we're not interested. That's the one thing that's weird and fishy and unexplained about the entire scenario. Yep, I think we're on the same page. Um, you know, it's not, like you said, it's not as crazy as it, as it seems, but that one aspect was, was a little strange. All right, let's move on to free agency. You're going to be, you're going to be in the studio for free agency. You're flying. Oh Yeah. In. You're going to be in Cincy, in the Western Southern studio with me and Steve. We're going to be reacting to all the big stuff that gets done. So let's start with a little kind of preview from the weekend before. Um, who, Where do you think some of the biggest name free agents? We've been kind of crapping on this free agent class generally, but some guys have been cut. You know, there's more names to this free agent pool. We may have more movement in terms of, you know, Darius Slay or whatever. There, there might be more names getting added to it before we get there. But let's sort of start looking at the biggest marquee names that are out there now and where we think they may end up signing. I think one that makes a ton of sense is Mike McGlinchey going to the Chicago Bears. They need a right tackle. As bad as their roster was, may have been the worst position on the team. Um, you know, the interior defensive line was not good either. So maybe they look into the Javon Hargrave and Draymond Jones markets. But I think for them, a priority is 
bringing in an outside zone tackle. Um, and Mike McGlinchey, it'd be their fifth Notre Dame player, I think. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, and a guy that, like, stylistically fits their offensive line as well. Like, he's an upgrade, just period. That's an important thing. Um, getting better along that offensive line is good for them. But stylistically, Mike McGlinchey is, I think, more of a run-blocking player than he is a pass-blocking player compared with, say, you know, Juwan Taylor is another right tackle, similar sort of age, similar experience, but is very much focused as a pass-blocking guy first. Run-blocking is nowhere near the same caliber. For Chicago's offensive line, given the style of offense, they're going to still have to run with Justin Fields, a quarterback, bringing in a guy who is you know, better as a run blocker than a pass blocker is probably a good thing for them. Yeah, no, I think it makes a ton of sense. Like you said, Taylor Taylor actually is three years younger than McGarry and McGlinch, which I think is interesting. But um, but yes, a very different, you know, fit in different teams. Um, not a good athlete getting to the second level in space. I think they're going to come down to McGlinchey or McGarry if they do make that splash at right tackle. I mean, we've been joking that Mike McGlinchey was like a 10-year grizzled veteran when he entered the league just based off the look of him. So it makes sense that he's significantly <laughs> older than, uh, than Juwan Taylor. Okay, who else have we got um, going somewhere? I think Tremaine Edmonds, the linebacker for the Buffalo Bills, I like the fit with the Houston Texans. D'Amico Ryans comes over, you know, bringing that 4-3 defense. They obviously, the, the Niners spend more resources at linebacker than any other team with Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner. And, and look, you have Christian Kirksey. Um, you have some young guys there. I'm blanking on his name. Christian Harris, uh, the linebacker from, I think, Alabama. But if you want to bring in like a marquee, big blue chip guy, I know he wore the green dot in, in Buffalo, got everyone lined up, did a lot of things. The league is very, very high on him. He's going to sign a very, very big contract. Um, and I love his fit with the Houston Texans. You think that D'Amico Ryan kind of sees him as their, their Fred Warner. You know, Fred Warner in that defense in San Francisco. Obviously, the defense around him was really good. But Fred Warner's ability to do freaky things within that defense lets them do a lot. Like, you know, there's that obvious play in the playoffs where he ends up running down the seam with a slot receiver. And gets it done like there there are a very small number of linebackers in the nfl that have any hope of executing that assignment and the 49ers would do stuff like that to fred warner all the time i I don't think tremaine edmonds has been anything like the player that fred warner has been in the nfl but he has those abilities like he's got the the speed the the athleticism the the size the capacity like he fits the mold to do that kind of stuff do you think D'Amico ryan's looks at this guy and goes like he can be our fred warner in this defense I do. And so I had a couple conversations with people in Indianapolis talking about Edmonds. And, you know, you hear a lot, I get asked a lot about like guys in contract years and it can't, can it be a red flag? You know, Deron Payne was another one. And for Edmonds, I heard some people say like, we think he just figured out more what he's supposed to do, what his assignment is. The game just slowed down for him. It wasn't, we already know he's a freakish athlete, truly tested off the charts. He's going to be 25 years old for the entire 2023 season. His sixth NFL season, he'll be 25 the entire time, which is crazy. But I do, like I said, I think Fred Warner is kind of in a category of his own right now. Edmonds has the physical tools to do that. If he then also has the play recognition and instincts to then, like the, the Warner play you mentioned, yes, he made an acrobatic and phenomenal you know, running up running up the middle of the field, but he also knew where it was going before they even snapped the ball. So, like, both of those combined, if you get that from Edmonds, he could, in theory, become a level, you know, that level of player. Yeah, I think it's that's an interesting um, debate. Like, when a guy has a career year at the end of his rookie season, specific, or rookie um, contract specifically, that's where it becomes a really difficult debate between was that, you know, just playing for the second contract, the money, or is that how long it took a young player 
to work out how to play at the NFL level. Like it's kind of in line roughly with how long some positions take to work work it out anyway, right? Three year, the sort of three year jump that, that people expect to see or are accustomed to thinking of. So you only have to add one or two more years to that, depending on where he was drafted before it makes perfect sense. And you're sort of scared on the one hand of the guy who's having a giant jump forward of a contract year to get the big money deal. On the other hand, it does sort of tally with how long young players might take to work out how to be there themselves at the NFL level. That position, we've seen the learning curve be quite steep at off-ball linebacker, especially in today's NFL with more too high shells. There's so much stress on that position. They have to still fit the run. They have more coverage responsibilities. There's so much going on um, that we've seen that. Like a lot of guys take a couple years to adjust, and then they play some better football. So it might depend position to position how you view that. Um, like yeah, a running back should in theory come in and be good right away. If anything, be better the earlier he is. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting situation, interesting debate, but I think in his case, people view it as, look, he's super young. He, you know, didn't like at Virginia Tech, if I remember correctly, like they kind of used him a lot of different ways. He came forward a little bit. He did a lot of different things. Um, but I think the game is slowing down finally now for him. All right. Who else have we got in terms of uh, potential big name landing spots? I'll do one more off ball linebacker. I think it's Bobby Okereke going to the Carolina Panthers. Um, Scott Fitter, the general manager at his podium, mentioned wanting to add speed at off-ball linebacker multiple times. Um, <laughs> you know, you don't get a lot out of these things, but he said it twice, and you could tell it was a very, very like genuine and serious comment. They already cut Damian Wilson. I think it's possible they also move on from Shaq Thompson. And in that scenario, they have you know pretty much no one at off-ball linebacker. And I think Okereke brings that speed. You know, undersized guy, solid coverage player, but a good sideline to sideline guy. You see the run defense and defensive stop numbers there. That's because he can you know move pretty quickly from sideline to sideline. So I love that fit as well. If they, especially if they do cut Shaq Thompson, I think he could be a Carolina Panther. Look, you put some respect on Frankie Luvu's name right there. Oh, you're right. My bad. <laughs> um, no, you're right. Let me uh, let me throw one at you just as an off the cuff thing, because Javon Hargrave, I think, is like essentially the free the prize of this free agent class, and has been all the way along. Where do we think he ends up going? I could see you're starting to get rumblings now that Cleveland maybe just takes a swing on him. Um, they obviously have nothing at interior, and that I'm confidently saying they have nothing at interior defensive yeah, yeah. line. I'm not forgetting any names no, that's there. Good. You're fine. Um, uh, yeah, so so maybe there. Chicago, I think, will be in the mix as well. But we already gave the Bears Mike McGlinchey. So let's go Cleveland Browns um, making a massive addition along the interior. That would be huge for Cleveland. I do think it makes a lot of sense for Chicago as well, particularly if they're like if they think they can come out of this draft with Will Anderson, you know, the, the edge rusher from Alabama. All of a sudden you get like the best free agent available and the best defensive player potentially available if we put an asterisk next to Jalen Carter with his legal problems. I mean, that would be huge for Chicago to be able to not just attack the defensive line generally, but potentially add the two best players available in the offseason to that defensive line in, you know, in a couple in a month's period. That would be pretty impressive. They had the worst defensive line in the NFL last year, and oh, yeah. frankly, maybe one of the worst defensive lines of the last several years. I mean, just devoid of talent. So, yeah, it, it would go a long way. They had by far the worst pressure rate in the NFL as a defense last season. And they were like, so I had this graph that I would repopulate every week um, sort of four quadrants, you know, how much they bl blitz rate versus pressure rate. And they were like bottom left in the crappy quadrant by, by a mile the entire time and like way off the deep end of anybody else. Atlanta was the next closest one and they had a pretty wretched pass rush themselves, but the Bears defensive line was just bringing nothing to the table the entire year.
Yeah, it was as someone who watches them closely every week. There, there was not a lot to watch. <laughs> All right, let's move on to some uh, under the radar guys because this has always been where the best business is done in free agency. We always get caught up in the big names, the marquee guys, the, the where the day one pursuit is done. But it's the under the radar guys that don't cost as much that are always the best signings, always. And I think now, I don't know, maybe this was just last year or the last couple of seasons, and it's it's not really a trend, but. It feels like teams are actually starting to prioritize uh, to prioritize these guys on day one. Like they're not waiting until after the big names have gone. They're just signing the guys they want anyway right away. So who are some under-the-radar guys that you think are, are worth keeping tabs on? I think two defensive linemen jump out to me. Uh, one is Agbania Akaronkwo with the Houston Texans last year, a guy that came into the year – was a rotational player and then later in the season basically made him a full-time starter and a lot of times we see production dip when you get more snaps he actually played better as he was playing more i want to say from like week seven on it is he was like top 10 in pressure rate top 10 in pass rush win rate had like a 90 plus pass rush grade from you know week seven or so on at the end of the season I think he fits more as a stand-up outside linebacker. Um, that, you know, I saw Matt Bowen of ESPN who does a great job with free agency as well. Thought he could play in, in an even front and be a you know a hand in the dirt type of guy, but I think isn't going to break the bank. And I think is a you know at least based on the small sample size we had of where he finally played a lot was really really effective for Houston. Yeah, it's funny. Like we loved that signing a year ago. Like that was one of the signings Houston made where we're like that guy could end up being a steal in a bigger role for Houston. You know, he, he flashed some previously. Like, it's perfect for him. And then it, it didn't happen for the first half of the year at all. Like, it wasn't – they weren't playing him as much. He wasn't making an, an impact when he was played. But you're right. Like, in the second half of the season, we kind of saw that guy. But when you sort of look at his year as a, as a whole, it would be easy to miss it because the, the kind of the, the net of those – the first half and the second half don't look spectacular. But for the second half of the year, he actually became the kind of steel signing that we thought he would be. So I'm with you. I'm really interested to see – one, if Houston tries to bring him back because he ended up becoming the player that they thought he would be, just took took a while to get there. Or B, if it's just a year later that we see that guy, like somebody else makes the same signing essentially and he ends up becoming the steal for them that he could be. I think quietly, edge rusher is actually a, a sneaky strength of this free agent class. Like it's not, you know, the superstars. There are, there's no amazing guy. I, I, I saw Zadarius Smith. Zadarius Smith seemed to kind of um, you ever you ever watched The West Wing? Yeah, a long time ago. You remember there was a bit in that where he where they sort of said, "I find that if you just skip over asking somebody to do something and announce that they've done it, they find it very difficult to backtrack from that." Right? <laughs> yeah, so Smith, bold. Yeah, Zadarius so Smith effectively just decided to act like he'd re- they'd been released and hope that the team would go, "All right, cool, yeah, we'll see you." Only they said no. <laughs> so he's, he just like said goodbye. I'm gone. Thanks for thanks for the memories, Minnesota. But I'll be leaving in free agency now. And asked for his release. And they were like, uh, no, you know, you're still under contract. We're gonna we're gonna keep that for a bit. Uh, so that was kind of strange. But let's assume he's not hitting free agency for the moment. But Akaronquo, two of my under the radar guys, Arden Key who's become a really good sort of rotational guy and that of these packed on some muscle deep into his career. And Melvin Ingram, who's just always good. Always. Doesn't matter how long, how much he's going to play or how old he is, he will be a really good rotational pass rusher for some team. 
Yeah, you mentioned I agree with you. It's not there's none of the big names, but there's a ton of depth here. There's the older guys, like you said, Melvin Ingram, Justin Houston, Brandon Graham. Then there's you know Samson Ebicam and Charles Amenahu and Arden Key. Like there are a lot of mid tier guys, which again, like that is usually how you win in free agency. So yeah, I like your list here a lot. It, this is the way you usually win. I know fans, and you know maybe it's not exciting. You want us talking about these huge names on day one. You've seen how those deals pan out a lot of the time. It's not particularly great. The Melvin Ingram. Uh, if you ignore the 2013 season where he played like 200 snaps, has never had a pass rushing grade um, below 66.4. And that was his rookie year. And if you f- take that out, he's never had one below 73 just every year. So in his prime, he was an 80 plus 89 at his peak pass rushing grade kind of guy, like genuinely as good as it got really in the NFL. And then the kind of post peak Melvin Ingram has just been a really good pass rusher who's had varying amounts of playing time, right? Ranging from a full-time thousand snap a year guy for the Chargers to scaling it down to 600 to three to, to 400 at one point. The, the Kansas City-Pittsburgh year was 700. Last season with Miami was 536. But he had 38 pressures, eight sacks, 78.9 pass rushing grade. Like, Sure, he's sort of slowing down in the sense of he's 33, 34 years old and not the guy that he used to be, but it probably doesn't get any better than that for a 400, 500 snap rotational body on your defensive line. And the Eagles are showing that um, that kind of template of we don't need one guy that plays a 1,000 snaps and dominates. If we have seven guys along the defensive line, each of whom can come in, get some pressure, contribute, play 20 snaps a game – you add all that up, that's the best pass rush in the NFL as a unit. So if any team is saying, well, instead of getting one 1,000-snap guy, let's get two guys that play 500 snaps, Ingram can be one of those guys and be an absolute steal. One of the last couple of years. They're an interesting one where a little bit different, but I know his knees are a bit of a concern, but right. we know how random and variant you know, injuries are. So you're basically taking a very low-risk contract-wise you know, flyer, like, I mean, like Jason Verrett, of course, with San Francisco, the first time around, it was like one of the best value signings of the entire offseason. Of course, there is there is an inherent risk there. But if they stay healthy and you can help help them stay healthy by playing them in a more rotational capacity, like you said, you can get a ton of surplus value. He's been that way the last, what, two or three years now. Mm-hmm. Um, who else is on your uh, your under the radar list? Yeah, I think Morgan Fox, the interior defender with the Los Angeles Chargers this past year, is also flying very under the radar. Um, had a pass rush grade of 71, had 40-plus pressures, six and a half or seven sacks. Um, you know, and is a good, you know, kind of a younger player. We're talking about a lot of the older guys. You know, I think maybe there's some concern about how he can hold up against the run. But if you want a guy that can just, again, get upfield from the interior, that you put in an out front and kind of let him serve in that capacity, maybe he doesn't only play 500 snaps, not 800. But he's darn good at what you ask him to do. He was very good last year. Yeah, I think coming out of that defense, because it's just collectively so terrible against the run, you assume that all of their interior players have not played well. But okay, as you say, against the run, maybe not so much, but as a pass rusher, and again, if you're projecting him into a better defense um, that doesn't need him to defend the run as much, he can definitely make an impact. Um, Another guy, similar kind of style, actually, Matt Ioannidis, the the Carolina Panthers defensive tackle, a guy that just always gets pressure. I mean, anyone that listens to the show knows that I've been a fan of Ioannidis since college, but He's good. He's disruptive. He will always cause problems for a defensive line. Again, if you're looking for one of those rotational bodies, a guy that can play four or 500 snaps on the interior over a season, he will get you 
30, 40, maybe 50 pressures, depending on how much game time he's getting. And that that's valuable. It's so valuable. And we see more and more in today's NFL, like trying to get upfield from the interior. And, you know, it's, it's a hot button topic. I'm sure you guys have discussed it a hundred times, but and he's another guy where I think injuries have kind of limited his market a little bit. But again, if you if you have him in a more rotational capacity, keep him fresh, keep him healthy, he's going to produce a- every year. So we've, we've got a couple of uh, pass catchers between us. You've got Mecole Hardman from the Kansas City Chiefs. I've got DJ Chark um, and Irv Smith, who I think are, are interesting names. Now, none of these guys are obviously cast iron superstars or guys that are going to dominate, but... Miko Hardman has been that gimmick guy in the Chiefs offense with insane playmaking skills, and everybody sort of always thinks maybe he can be something more in a bigger role. DJ Chark is that, I mean, he's Steve's Will Fuller, right? The guy that you always take a flyer on for because if the one year he stays healthy, he's shown the ability to cause problems deep down the field, even if he is a one-dimensional kind of guy. And then Irv Smith has just been wrecked by injuries so far in his NFL career, but the Vikings always loved that guy. Like, every time it was like, this is the year Irv Smith is going to cook in this offense. And multiple different coaches said that. Like, it wasn't one guy who just fell in love with him. If he can stay healthy, he's the kind of guy that could show up one day, like six, seven years into his career, and put up like 800 yards and eight touchdowns. Yeah, 100% is. I have to name drop now or story drop now. But when I interned there get in the elevator on the first day and Irv Smith standing there and it was the three interns and, and the person who was showing us around and all of us, we knew immediately who it was and he just got drafted that year. But like you said, every single offseason, he's the guy where they were saying he's having an incredible camp. If he can stay healthy, he's going to break out. And I know you hear that and we kind of you know mock that in a lot of ways, but there's a reason we hear that, right? And so if eventually he can stay healthy, he's never had like a debilitating, terrible ligament tear. It's a lot of like ankle and shin and like like I mean it's not great it's all soft tissue but yeah I love that one I I think there's a lot of teams that could use a player like that he's not a bad blocker by any means I mean you want him to be a pass catcher but he's not a liability um from that perspective either so I think he's where you say like we look back next offseason if he stays healthy he could be the guy we're all saying like wow what a great value that x team got in signing Irv Smith Jr. You got two more names to to list linebacker Drew Tranquil and cornerback Rocky Asin um Tell me in particular why you think Rocky Hussein is a potential uh, good signing for the under-the-radar signing. Yeah, so and it's funny. The last three here, the Mikol, Rocky Hussein, Andrew Tranquil, I kind of took a different direction where I think the amount of money they're going to get is under the radar because I think all three guys are going to do probably better than a lot of people expect. But okay. for Rocky Hussein, you look at this cornerback class, and if you're trying to find an outside cover corner that can play press man up on the line – it's Jamel Dean and it's Rocky Scene. Like, unless you want to get into the 32, 33 year old waters with some of those guys, or I guess you want to trade for a Darius Slay at this point. So <laughs> I think that's why he has the tools and traits to be that player. If you look at Justice Press Man coverage snaps, was top 25 among corners over the last two seasons. Yes, he got traded to the Raiders. Um, you know, but Patrick Graham clearly saw value in him, likes to play a lot more of that, that man coverage. So. Yeah, I think that's part of it as well. It's just like it's a very old corner class. I know Tom Pelissero put out yesterday that Byron Murphy could get up to $16 million a year, which is insane to me. Um, A good player has inside-outside flexibility. But for me, if you want a multi-year fix at outside corner that can play man coverage, I I think it's really two players, Jamel Dean and Rocky Seen. Yeah, Rocky Seen, I think, is a very scheme-specific player at this point. Like, he is that man cover type of corner. Like, him... The New England Patriots would be a fascinating place for him to land uh, to this offseason because 
I don't think we know yet whether the Patriots really still want to run that type of defense, you know, and they just didn't have the guys to do it last year, or if they have kind of moved away from that style of defense the way the rest of the league has. But the signing of a guy like Rocky Seen would tell you which way. Like, if they bring a guy like him in, it's like, no, we want to run man cover corner. We want to run man coverage again. We just didn't have players we trusted to do that last season. We're, we're going back to the, you know, the Belichick style of defense this year. Yep, no, 100%. And I, I think it was, my guess, it was more about just not having the bodies. I mean, we were playing, you know, Jalen Mills and, and Jonathan Jones, and no disrespect to either guy, but guys that, you know, are, no, but it's just like you're not going to play a bunch of man coverage with five foot ten, like, you know, hybrid slot slash safety slash corner. Like, those guys are not playing press man on the outside. So, um, you know, maybe, like you said, it's probably a big tell if they sign a guy like him what direction they want to go. I'm only laughing because we've, sh- we've thrown plenty of disrespect in the way of Jalen Mills over the course of his NFL career. <laughs> so you, you adding to it probably wouldn't uh, move the needle at this point. Um, let's talk trades because that was where arguably all of the biggest moves came from last year, right? We were kind of looking at the free agent class and then all of a sudden the number one wide receivers start getting moved around all over the place. So who are some of the biggest names to look out for when it comes to trades? The two big ones that I think could happen in the next couple of weeks. Uh, first is uh, Arizona Cardinals wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. Right. I think it's fairly clear he does not want to be there. It also just makes sense for Arizona at this point to flush the entire thing and start over. Um, the fascinating thing there will be, does he push for a new contract? He said on the Pat McAfee show this week, he doesn't necessarily need a new deal. My guess is he just wants his money guaranteed, which I think is more palatable for a team than giving him, you know, like, like the, the, the deal he got going to Arizona where he got a big signing bonus and got, you know, new cash flow. If he just wants guarantees, I think a team will give up a second round pick, maybe a day three pick as well. And he could be on a new team very soon. The second is Los Angeles Rams corner Jalen Ramsey. Look, they've made it very clear they're kind of resetting there. It was also notable, beyond the moves they've made, it's notable that Les Snead comes out yesterday and says, Matthew Stafford, Aaron Donald, and Cooper Cup are building blocks and foundational players we do not want to move on from. Never mentioned Jalen Ramsey's name at any point in that press conference. So... I wouldn't be surprised if he's on a new team also in the next week or two. Uh, I think you'll see maybe Miami get in the conversation, maybe Detroit. Um, you know, those two teams probably where I'm keeping an eye on is maybe adding Jalen Ramsey in the near future. We've spent so long thinking of the Jalen Ra- or the uh, DeAndre Hopkins contract as this like crazy outlier deal that he signed when he went to Arizona and, you know, a thing that was causing problems in the NFL because everybody else didn't want to go there. What what is it like now? Like we're a few years into this deal. How egregious is this contract? What is it, what kind of state is it for any team looking to potentially bring him in? Because obviously it was a problem for so many years. But have we reached the point in the deal where it's actually not a bad contract anymore? Yeah, no, it's really not. It's really not. I think it's more a question of just the assurances you can add to it. Do you want to guarantee a bunch of money? The value itself, though, is, is in my opinion, is, is fine based on the, the, play, the where, where the play has been. Um, you know, I know we obviously had the suspension uh, and missed some time with the injury the year before that. But, I mean, you saw when he did come back, I mean, Hopkins was getting peppered with 15 targets a game. He is still clearly a number one receiver, a, a true outside X, which also there's none of that in free agency and there's none of that in the draft. So right. that can maybe boost his value a little bit. You're just there's only one option realistically, um, you know, maybe, we, you know, a guy like a T Higgins, that's way down the road. Um, but yes, uh, it's it's two years, about $34 million remaining. I have no issue bringing that in and guaranteeing a lot of it, if not all of it. Um, you know, like I said, if he wants new cash on top of that, then it complicates things. But yeah, I think that's fine. 
So you bring up a good point because wide receiver is like the biggest problem spot, I think, this offseason for a lot of teams. Um, there isn't any of those guys in free agency, like these true number one X alpha type receivers. It's being like that's the reason people are criticizing the group in the draft as well as it's pretty low on those guys. There are good receivers available. There aren't many that look like they can come in and be that guy. So obviously DeAndre Hopkins is an obvious kind of trade candidate and a guy that uh, teams needing that type of receiver would be interested in. Brandon Cooks, I know, is another name that you have listed there. I think we can probably take it as read that Brandon Cooks is always on the trade block. But I would be interested in a couple of younger guys that might not technically be available, but let's see, right? Like, I know the Bengals have been talking like T. Higgins is a part of their long-term vision, their future plan. They're going to lock up him, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, all these guys to monster contracts, keep that nucleus intact. And they've sort of said... He's a Cincinnati Bengal. He's not available, right? But if you're a team, like if you're the Giants, and let's say DeAndre Hopkins goes somewhere else or you don't get him or whatever, you still need that elite receiver. You've got an acute need at receiver and you've got money to spend. I would be, I, they should be picking up the phone and testing Cincinnati's resolve with an offer. Like, I know you said T. Higgins wasn't available, but if I gave you a first-round draft pick, which would be an upgrade, like a, a profit on what you drafted him for. Is he still not available or, you know, are we talking now? I think it's interesting too, you know, the most relevant example, sort of relevant, like with Stefan Diggs, where it helped that the Vikings probably thought, yeah, we can add a replacement immediately at pick 22 and Justin right. Jefferson. I'm not saying they knew he was going to become the best receiver in the NFL, but whereas this class is not particularly good, the Lions pick is at 18, but the thing with Higgins is, look, I don't think it's going to happen early. I think it would happen later in the offseason. The reason I put on an article, I think their GM or pseudo-GM, Duke Tobin, basically was calling me out at his podium in the Combine um, <laughs> for, for, for mentioning it. I Look, I don't think they're going to trade him. What I think is going to happen, though, is they're not going to extend him at any point this offseason. And as we saw last year with A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel, a trade request I think like I would bet on a trade request happening, maybe not betting on a trade happening, because the Cincinnati Bengals, they don't do really do business that way. They'll probably keep them. They'll then franchise tag them next offseason if they have to. So, you know, I get why everyone's pushing back on me and saying, but look, I, they're, the, the Bengals paying all three of those guys, I just don't think it's a very likely proposition. Um, you know, so it, it's going to be interesting. But this feels like a classic example of like, I don't, I don't want to trade him, but if somebody comes in with an offer like that's that's pretty crazy, I can't really afford to turn it down. You know what I mean? Like it, it seems like the kind of thing where your opinion could be changed depending on what gets thrown in your direction. And if you're a team like the Giants, you know, I think you could throw a pretty big offer towards Cincinnati for T. Higgins and it'd be entirely reasonable in terms of what you would want to uh, give up and get that guy. Like I, I think so it's, you know, people have a tendency to believe everything that NFL teams say right now. I don't even think they're lying. Like, they're saying, no, he's not available for trade. But if somebody picks up the phone and says, hey, we'll give you a first-round pick, we'll pick up the contract, we'll, you know, give him the giant payday, and maybe there's some other bells and whistles attached to this as well, is he still unavailable? I, you'd, I mean, you'd kind of be crazy to turn that down at this point. 
I think that's a key too. We're talking about how bad the market is in free agency and of the draft, which should, in theory, raise the compensation. Like, hey, if you're Cincinnati, you say, okay, you know what? The only way we're even going to listen and entertain the idea is if you blow us out of the water with an right. offer. And it's fair for them to say that, right? So if the Giants offer like a, their first this year at 26, but then a future second, I don't think they're going to go. They're not going to go two firsts if I had to guess. Right. But still, a first and a future second. And it's coming from New York, who you know, that could be a top 50 pick next year with some regression for them. That's right. If you're Cincinnati, again, they could decline it, but make it a hard make it a hard decision. And unlike you know Minnesota, who had to sort of factor in, can we replace this guy like for like in the draft? Blah blah. blah. Like they already have Jamar Chase. Sure, I mean, <laughs> True, sure, yeah. losing T. Higgins isn't good, but it's not like you get get rid of him for whatever the trade is, and now you got to go and spend a first round pick on a wide receiver just to get back to being viable. Like they they could let him walk. And be fine. Like Jamar Chase plus Tyler Boyd plus whoever the hell else they add during the offseason just for fun is still good. You know, like it's not the same sort of dynamic. And, you know, similar vein, the other guy I would be picking up the phone to inquire about is Brandon Ayuk from the 49ers. I think Steve brought this up a while ago as a sort of just a light bulb going off kind of moment. And it makes a lot of sense to me because similarly, the 49ers are not going to be able to pay everybody. They've got this maybe the greatest array of, of uh, playmaking talent that the game has seen, like in, in one place. They've got, you know, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey added to the mix now. They, Kyle Juszczyk is a fullback. Like, it's absurd. They're not going to be able to keep all of those guys. They just traded for, um, for Christian McCaffrey. So that's, you know, sort of one of the big uh, big pieces I would imagine they're more keen on keeping Debo than they are Ayuk so I would be picking up the phone and saying hey you know does this pick get us Brandon Ayuk I totally agree with you there I mean Nick Bosa is going to get 32 33 million dollars a year like you have all these contracts coming in yes they're cheap at quarterback which helps you know really everything else but I'll throw one more at you too Uh, I I would rather have T Higgins or Brandon Ayuk than this guy but can the Bills pay Gabriel Davis this offseason either? Oh. I don't know. And he's another guy going to the last year of his deal because he's not a first-round pick. I'm sure he's asking for, you know, number two money, probably not $20 million, but close to it. Can they pay that to him? I don't know. Yeah. One last point with the Bengals and T. Higgins thing. Um, we talked before about, you know, cash-poor owners, and that's one of the, th- the things potentially uh, as a h- hurdle for Lamar Jackson, et cetera. Somebody might have to put $230 million in an escrow account. Can like do, do the Bengals have the money to pay those three guys in the space of like eighteen months? That's my thing. Like it's it's about escrow. Where if the guys are going to take deals that don't, and the Bengals historically, outside of quarterback, because you know them, the Steelers, the Packers, they always have to bend on quarterback, but they do not guarantee money outside the first year of the contract. Now I always like to say this: we do look at the retention rate of all players. And the Bengals and Steelers and Packers are also top three in. They actually honor their contracts longer than any other team. So there is, you know, they obviously, you know, they, they, but anyway, when you don't guarantee money outside the first year of a deal for a guy like T. Higgins, who could be pushing for, you know, full guarantees in year three, the day he signs with more potentially vesting later on, like some team would give him that. And they're trying to say, yeah, we'll give you a big signing bonus, but nothing beyond that is guaranteed. Like that's not what he's looking for. So, the escrow thing is a real problem for Mike Brown. I know every, every time I bring this now, oh, it's Paycor Stadium. They got a sponsorship deal. That's not going to help you pay three guys $100 million combined per season. But, right. yeah, I think it's a legit concern. And also, look, like, Trey Hendrickson's deal is way too cheap. He deserves more money. Um, you know, DJ Reader's coming in, I think, the last year of his deal. Mike Hilton, like, you know, Chidobi Wuzier, like, 
all like they also have a lot of other you know they're going to lose Jesse Bates yada 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 yada. So they have a lot coming in their way. Um, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, like forget you know salary cap constraints. It's going to be difficult enough to sign those three guys and get it all into the cap and and everybody else you've got to sign that you just talked about. But they're one of the few teams in the NFL for whom simply having that volume of liquid cash to throw in an escrow is probably an issue. Like there are, there, you know, the Rams don't have to think about that, right? They've got an owner bankrolled by like a gazillionaire. That's not an issue. David Tepper, the Panthers, who cares? They've got money, more money than they know what to do with. The, like the Broncos with the Waltons, they could sign a million of those contracts, throw all the money in escrow. It doesn't matter. Like they have those kinds of liquid assets. The Bengals are one of those teams for whom I think that's a reasonable question. And again, if a team comes in with an offer you can't turn down, I think that is fascinating. The There were reports um, that the Rams, the Jalen Ramsey is the one that's been going on for a while. But all of a sudden, there's reports about everybody and the Rams being potentially traded, including Matthew Stafford, by the way, which, I mean, you said they were, they were talking about him as one of their cornerstone pieces. Aside from anything else, the, the dead cap hit they would have to eat for Matthew Stafford is colossal, right? Like, that's just not, that's just not an option. So the thing there is it probably got brought up because he has $31 million in salary for 2024 and a $26 million option bonus that all become fully guaranteed in the next week. So $57 million that aren't currently, as of right now, fully guaranteed all become fully guaranteed very soon. And, you know, so I think people try to connect dots there. But, yeah, I, I would be very surprised. I don't think he's actually available. I know, you know, Mike Lombardi went on, I think, Pat McAfee as well and said they've been shopping him. To my knowledge, that is not actually the case. Yeah. I I mean, obviously, that would obviously, <laughs> that would signify a complete rebuild there. But that's yeah. one that I just don't think is even feasible. Like, it would be. No, I don't, no, I don't think so either. be kind of no. crazy. Um, all right. That's, I think, going to do it for us today, Brad. Uh Thank you so much for coming on, for talking free agency, for talking some trades. Uh, next week is going to be fun. Next week we got the the first few days of all the crazy excitement, the legal tampering period, having been through the illegal tamping, tampering period already, the trades that are going to happen, the trades that won't happen, and the actual signings to get done. So we're going to be in the PFF office the entire time reacting to whatever happens. We'll be doing our daily live show, the PFF NFL podcast as well. Sam or Sam, Sam, Steve, you as well. We'll be adding quick reaction videos for like huge signings, huge deals that get made. So we have something up immediately and then we'll we'll maybe even add some roundup shows as well. So I'm looking forward to it. And we're going to take you to Brown Bear so you get to sample the, uh, the bakery magic that is these people. I cannot wait for the free agency, maybe even more so the bakery. Uh, no, it's going to be a great week. Everyone tune in. We're going to put a lot of great content out. I think the way we're going to go about it this year um, is going to be awesome. Some quick spinoffs, exactly what we're thinking and how things fit. I think it's going to be awesome. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We will see you Monday. <laughs>